capacity for it. it, it never. <laughs> it's not here. Despite the decorations in our house and the Christmas movies being watched, I was fighting a losing battle because it was quoted to me by my children that there is research. I'm not totally sure who has done this research. Um, but there is research to say that the earlier you put up your Christmas decorations, the happier you are. So anyone else got their decorations up? Oh, more people than I anticipated. Oh, interesting. Okay, I wasn't sure. Um, well, I wonder why that is. Um, uh, the, the, maybe it's that the Christmas decorations, they signify something, don't they? They, um, they signify happy times, maybe uh, times of joy. They just add a bit of sparkle. You know, you can get a bit of sparkle in September by watching Strictly, just in case you're not. Um, but um, the Christmas decorations, they bring a, they're a symbol of hope, aren't they? And, and it's not surprising that in the world that we live in, uh, people want to grab onto hope. So I'm not going to diss anyone for putting their decorations up. And although I was a bit grumpy last weekend when the kids insisted, um, I am now enjoying the fact that the house is all pretty and it looks a bit different. Just like uh, the Coca-Cola advert, the holidays are coming. I was going to try and show it, but that was a bit too technologically challenging for me. Um, but, you know, can you, can, you can you remember the advert? You know, holidays are coming, holidays. And there's the cocoa. Yeah, okay. Some of you have got it. Um, the holidays are coming. Christmas is coming, but it's not quite here just yet. And I want to lay out a choice for us this morning. On the 3rd of December, on the first Sunday in Advent, we have a choice. That over the next three weeks, we could go crashing headlong into Christmas headlong into celebrating, um, or we could choose to take the next few weeks to prepare for that Christmas celebration. Take time to pause. Pip mentioned it last week, to find that moment to slow down, to actually think about what it is that we're celebrating at Christmas. That's what Advent is. Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, which means coming. And in this context, we think about the coming of Jesus. That Jesus came when he was born 2,000 years ago. That Jesus comes here and now today through the power of the Holy Spirit in and to work through us. But also that Jesus will come again. Scriptures promise that he will come and make all things new. And so this Advent season is a time to reflect, to prepare our hearts and our homes, yes, maybe to put up decorations, but to prepare our hearts for the Jesus Christ's entry into the world. Uh, there's a, an American pastor and an author called Louis Giglio, and he says this, Advent means expectation. What Advent can do for us is create a sense of hope. Advent is about preparation, anticipation, and expectation. You know, preparing our homes, perhaps putting up one or two decorations or 50 million, depending on which camp you sit in. It's symbols of hope. Think back to the last thing or a big event in your life that required some preparation. Maybe it was an assignment that needed to be done for a deadline. Uh, perhaps it was a holiday that you were planning for. Maybe you were moving home. Maybe you were getting married or you remember planning a wedding. Maybe uh, you were having an operation. 
There's this element of preparation, isn't there? For all these different things, the things I've just listed, you have to prepare for them. And there is a sense of anticipation. And there is an expectation, generally, that things will be different. If it's a holiday, our expectation is of rest, maybe of sunshine or snow, depending on what sort of holiday. Uh, maybe if it's an assignment that you're doing, there is the expectation that you will pass it and it will be good enough. Maybe the oper an operation, the expectation that you will be well. All of those things, preparation, anticipation and expectation, they give a sense of hope, don't they? Hope of passing an exam, of having a new home, of resting and relaxing on holiday of being well. And Advent is actually the beginning of the church calendar, if you look at church history. And it's a time where time becomes a tool to encounter God. So this next few weeks, we can use this time to encounter him, this preparation of our hearts, this expectation, this expectation of God coming, of when Jesus came, as flesh to live amongst us, the incarnation and all of that means all, all that that means, God stepping into our mess, into our world, into our pain, into our lives, his incarnating, living, dwelling amongst us. If we would let God do what God does best, then the next few weeks could, in, could bring so much hope as we prepare and we anticipate. And we expect. Now, I don't know how you're feeling about the next few weeks. It could be that leading up to Christmas, there is just a sense of exhaustion thinking about it. All of those social uh, parties that you've got going on, all the shopping, all the preparation, uh, maybe even um, the putting up of the decorations if you haven't done it already. But when I talk about anticipation and preparation, I don't just mean the baking of the Christmas cake or the Christmas pudding or the, sh the present buying and giving. I mean, how is your heart? Is your heart inclined towards the Father? Do we want to seek him afresh in this season? As we remember his arrival as a human being, and I wait in anticipation for his second coming. The Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, um, just to name two, who who's prophesied thousands of years before Jesus was born, were speaking to God's people. They were speaking to a group of people who were living in a world that wasn't particularly fun. There was a lot of conflict. There was a lot of oppression, injustice, poverty, corruption, People's hearts weren't inclined towards the Father. God's people lived in exile, and life was not as they wanted or as they hoped. And the Old Testament prophets came to prophesy about this coming Messiah who would come and change everything. If we think about the world that we are living in right now, there's a bit in common, isn't there? We are not living in a world that is as God wants. We are not living in a world where his rule and reign is here in full. Jesus is here and he's here by the power of the Spirit living and working through us. But one day he will come again and he will make all things new. 
Creation won't groan and quake in pain. People groups won't be at war with one another. Families will be reconciled and restored. Sickness and pain will be no more. Death and dying will be gone. That is the hope that we can hold on to. That is what Advent is all about. And Advent brings it front and center. And I think that we can miss that in the rush and the busyness of getting everything ready for the 25th of December. I was going to say the 27th then. Not quite sure what's happening then. But, um, you know, Isaiah the prophet, he spoke 700 years before Jesus was born. And he said this in Isaiah 9, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Isaiah was speaking of a child being given, a son being, a child being born, a son being given. God's very essence as the ultimate giver, giving to us his son, who would be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And his government will be like no other that we've ever experienced. That's compelling, even 3,000 years on. And just a slight little interlude. Pitt mentioned our carol service. We're going to be looking specifically at the Prince of Peace. But because we love Christmas, Christmas isn't ending on, in, in December. We are going to carry it on in January. Past the 12 days, we're going to blur those lines slightly. And we're going to do, a, we're going to do a, ser- a series on looking at the peace that Jesus gives. So if you know anybody who is living in a place where they feel in turmoil, where there is no peace, where there is anxiety, where there is worry, where there is brokenness. We have a message of Jesus that brings hope. So invite them to the carol service and then be prepared to invite them and bring them every Sunday in January. Okay, that's the end of the little advert. But Advent holds this together. Advent holds the past, the present and the future altogether. This future hope is what we have been made for. Jesus came, he is here and now, and he is coming again. The source of all hope. And in that hope, we can also be very real and acknowledge the pain that we might be in right now. Throughout Advent, the days literally get darker because we are living with real darkness. None of us in this room, I'm sure, have all got it together and are living the perfect life. All of us have got stuff that we're dealing with, pain that we feel, broken-heartedness that we live with daily. And in Advent, as the days get darker, we can acknowledge the darkness that we live under. But it can also be punctuated by the light the light of the world that is Jesus. We can acknowledge the darkness, yet know that the light is coming and that light cannot be extinguished. Uh, Tish Harrison Warren, who is a vicar and author, um, um, she wrote this, True faith reveals a dissatisfaction that all is not okay here and now, and it produces longing within us. 
This longing is tapped into during Advent as we wait for the coming of Christ at Christmas and also the second coming. If the king, if King Charles was coming to Chelmsford and he decided he was going to come to your house for tea, I bet you'd all clean your houses. You'd at least clean the toilets, wouldn't you? Your house. We'd prepare, wouldn't we? We'd prepare because it was an arrival of an important person. Um, And we take that preparation seriously. Christmas is the coming of the King of Kings. So I think we should take preparation seriously. It's okay to acknowledge our dissatisfaction that all is not okay, that there is war going on and we really need the Prince of Peace to break in, that there is an epidemic of poor mental health and we need to acknowledge pain and we need to pause and reflect on our wonderful counsellor. Advent is about reflection and about acknowledging our pain in our preparation, anticipation and expectation so that when we come to celebrate the Messiah, it can be so much more significant. Like Lent is to Easter, and if you don't know what Lent is, it's a time of preparation before we celebrate Easter. Advent is the fast before the feasting of Christmas. So how are you going to celebrate or to to walk through Advent? How are you going to prepare to celebrate the incarnation and the hope that the Messiah brings. Richard Foster, who was an author and theologian, he said this, the tools of the devil are noise, crowds, and hurry. The tools of the devil are noise, crowds, and hurry. What marks Christmas for most of us? Noise, crowds, and hurry. The enemy doesn't want us to draw closer to God, to love him, to be transformed by him for the sake of others. He's more than happy for us to crash into Christmas, caught up in the noise, the crowds and the hurry. And like I said a couple of weeks ago, the enemy is not wanting us to worship him. He just doesn't want us worshipping Jesus. Noise, crowds and hurry are the opposite to silence, solitude, and slowing down, which I would argue are essential if we're going to prepare our hearts to really reflect on this season. The battle for Christmas is to find those moments of silence and solitude, to slow down for the sake of our souls. So if Advent is about preparing our hearts and anticipating the coming of Jesus again, then what can we learn from Jesus' life? Because we know, if you've read any of the Gospels, Jesus spent his whole adult life preparing to, to fulfill his mission. He took preparation seriously. He was preparing to die and rise again so that we could have hope in him. And I think, just really briefly, Jesus did three things to prepare well. And we would, it, we would be wise to take note of those things. Firstly, he lived in a place of close community. Secondly, he, taught, he sought out time with his father alone. And thirdly, he didn't rush anywhere. Even when things were pressing, you might say even desperate, he walked slowly. So firstly, Jesus lived in close community. 
Um, you don't have to look far in the Gospels, uh, which are the documents that we have that sh- talk to us about Jesus's life. You don't have to look far to see that Jesus often turned up to places with the same people. To me, that says they were his people. He hung out with them. They were his community. He intentionally chose 12 disciples that he invited to follow him. And we know from scripture that Peter, James and John were his BFFs. And, um, and he did life with them. He taught them. He challenged them. He um, had fun with them. He ate with them. He, um, he lived with them. He saved them from storms. These were his guys. They were the people that knew him and that saw him. And it's from these relationships that the world was changed. So as we prepare for Advent, as we prepare for Christmas, my question is simply, are you in close community with people? It's one thing coming here on a Sunday, but who in this community knows you? Who really knows you? You know, we love small groups. We love them. Like we think that they're so important. But even those of us that are in small groups, you can still hold people at arm's length. You can still hide who you really are. So I wonder if this is the invitation to find a couple of people, perhaps in your small group, that you can be really real with, that you can journey with, that can ask you the hard questions, that you can confess your sin to, that you can hold each other accountable. You know, as a community, we really want to press into courageous transformation, being brave about dealing with our stuff and becoming more like Jesus. And I think that close community is essential for that. We were made for relationship. Otherwise, we'd just all go and live off as hermits, wouldn't we? Close community is essential for us to become all that God wants us to be. So Jesus prepared well by living in close community. Secondly, he sought out time with his father alone. If we see any practice in Jesus' life that is repeated over and over again, it's the one where he withdraws, he retreats, he goes, he gets up early. That's the bit I hate. He gets up early to go and withdraw, to go and be with his father on a mountainside or by, on a beach. I think if I lived in the mountains or by the beach, it would be much easier to get up early and do that. But we don't. Um, but Jesus always went off many, many times. I mean, I've just recorded six examples in Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 4, Luke 5, Luke 6, Luke 22. You know, in all these times of preparation, you know, when Jesus was making decisions, when he was dealing with grief, after working really hard, the first thing he did after he'd fed 5,000 people plus was he went to be alone with his father. Basically, whatever life threw at Jesus, whatever he was dealing with, his response was to withdraw and go and be with his father, to hear what his father had to say. And Advent is an invitation to us to be still and know that he is God. Henry Nouwen, who was a, is a theologian, was, was a theologian? I think he's died, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, He said this, without solitude, it's virtually impossible to have a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. That's pretty, pretty hardcore, isn't it? Pretty directive. Without solitude, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. So this Advent, let's get really practical. 
Do we reflect? Do you live a reflected life? Do you spend time alone with the Lord? Could you set aside five minutes every day to sit with him on your own without any distractions? Could be that you're all doing this already and you're absolutely nailing it. So well done. For those of us that struggle with that, and I'll own that, you know, what have I seen Jesus do in my life in the last year? What have you seen him do in your life? Where do you still need Jesus to step in? And will we wait to hear what he's got to say? Advent is the perfect time to reflect. We attach so many longings to Christmas and the celebrations of Christmas. But actually, our longings need to be attached to Jesus. Are we longing for him? Will we carve out time to spend it with our Father? You know, we're all being formed by something or someone. And we have a choice of what it is that is forming us. It could be our jobs. It could be our families. It could be uh, a celebrity. We have a choice. And I think if we've said yes to following Jesus, we need to choose that for him to be the person that forms us. Would we consider stepping in to finding time with our Father this Advent to draw close to him? So Jesus lived in close community and he sought time alone with his Father, the first two steps in preparing well. And thirdly, Jesus didn't rush anywhere. He walked everywhere. I've put a smiley face emoji in my notes. Clearly he walked everywhere. Cars weren't invented when Jesus was around. He rode on a donkey. Good point. He, he did. You're right. Um, but donkeys aren't that fast, are they? So um, this still works. Um, you know, there weren't, okay, besides donkeys, there weren't really any other modes of transport. Um, but Jesus deliberately walked slowly through life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if he turned up in Chelmsford today? It's pretty much a status symbol to be in a rush, right? To always be going on to the, at least in, in the circles that I'm in being busy, fitting in as much as possible for adults as well as children. You know, how many clubs can our children participate in? You know, how many opportunities have they got that we couldn't possibly miss out on them having because it would absolutely affect them negatively for their future? I say that tongue-in-cheek. I'm in, I'm in that category, okay? But what is the cost of that overscheduling? What is the cost to our souls and the souls of our children, the souls of our families? Do we even know how to slow down? You know, I've shared this in the past, so forgive me for those of you that have heard it before, but slowing down is something I find really difficult. And three years ago, I made it an intentional part of my spiritual workout to slow down, which God had a complete laugh at in that first week that I decided it because on the way to school, I got stuck behind a bike, a tractor and a horse. And I was like, okay, I need to just breathe. I need to slow down. But I, I, I'm in a habit of forgetting that that's part of my spiritual workout. You know, I can think of two occasions in Jesus' life. I'm sure there's more. Um, 
where uh, both of them involved Mary and Martha, and they involved the subject of slowing down. So if you've got a Bible, then you might want to flick to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Um, I'm just going to read it. Um, It says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only, the one, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Martha is preparing things for Jesus and totally missing the point that he is in her house. This resonates with me totally. Jesus encounters the busyness of Martha in contrast to her sister Mary and encourages Martha to slow down and pay attention to him. The second occasion with Mary and Martha is in John 11. Feel free to flick forward to that if you'd like to. I'm not going to read it now. But Jesus gets word from Mary and Martha to say that Lazarus, their brother, is ill and dying. Jesus is good friends with Mary and Martha and Lazarus at this point. And two days after Jesus heard that Lazarus was really sick, he set off on his journey to go and see him. He's thought that Jesus was probably about a day's walk away from where they were living. However, in John 11 verse 17, it tells us that Jesus, when Jesus did arrive, Lazarus had been buried for four days. So Jesus didn't come immediately. His, one of his good friends was ill and dying, and he didn't drop everything and run. He didn't come immediately, and I'm guessing from, this, uh, from what we know, he didn't go the most direct route. Okay, so you could argue that Jesus knew what was coming. And a total spoiler alert, if you haven't uh, read this account, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So it has a happy ending. Um, But Mary and Martha, they didn't know that. For Mary and Martha, this was their urgent. Where was Jesus? He didn't rush. Jesus had a different perspective. He had a bigger picture. So if Richard Foster, as he said, the devil's tools are noise, crowds and hurry, if, as he said, that is true, and typically Christmas is characterised by noise, crowds and hurry, then we are invited to be totally countercultural in Advent. And we are being invited to slow down, to press into silence and solitude. You know, no, no rushing from one party to the next, because I'm, I'm sure you've all got really busy social calendars. Um, no rushing out to get that last-minute gift, ensuring that everything is as it should be at Christmas, whatever should be looks like for you. Will we choose to slow down? I try and have a retreat day once a month to find silence and solitude, to slowly walk in nature, to sit and to journal. And I had got that in my diary for, for Friday. And um, boy, was it a battle. And, um, and to be honest, true transparency, I managed two and a half hours 
of retreating. I'd planned the whole day, but I had a to-do list as long as my arm. And, and I, that is an excuse. I had requests on my time. I had stuff to do, jobs to do. Um, and, and I knew that I was going to be speaking on this today. So I was like, well, I actually have to do it, don't I? I need to say no to some things, and I need to, do th I need to be prepared enough to do stuff earlier on in the week. I needed to be disciplined because I knew that I needed that time for my soul to catch up with my body because it has been a little bit busy. And how could I possibly encourage you guys to slow down if I'm not at least attempting it? Because I don't want to be a hypocrite. So will we slow down? Do we need to check our overfull schedule? Is there perhaps a longing within us that is unfulfilled and so we fill it with busyness? Maybe rushing around is meeting a need within us. Or maybe it's a distraction from actually sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus walked slowly. He had a different perspective. And perhaps we could argue that by slowing down and walking more intentionally through life, pausing more regularly, we might actually get the perspective of Jesus. So as we enter Advent, this season of preparation, preparing our hearts and lives, the fasting before the feasting and celebration of Christmas. As we remember the Old Testament prophets who brought a message of hope 3,000 years ago about the coming Messiah, a hope that we can cling on to because Jesus came, he comes now, and he will come again. And he will make all things new. We can hold on to that hope. Our invitation this morning, I think, is to take Advent seriously. So will we, together, will we press into community? Find some people that really know you, warts and all. Will we carve out time alone with our Father in silence and solitude? Will we attempt to walk slowly towards Christmas? Jesus is our, is our example. And we will gain his perspective if we give him the time. Why don't we stand?